couple of announcements. Uh, first, reminder that enrollment remains open until August 7th for the children's and youth formation year coming upon us here in just a month and a half or so. Remember, there are two steps to complete enrollment. The first step is to submit the general pre-registration form located on our parish website. And the second step is to go to the parish office and to complete enrollment forms for the specific formation programs desired and to pay associated fees. Uh, your family must be registered members of the parish prior to completing enrollment in faith formation. You can call the parish office for more information. That families and parishes produce priestly and religious vocations uh, is an important sign of health and discipleship. And it always speaks highly of a young person when he's open to a call to the priesthood and when he gives time to discern God's call and to follow wherever that leads. And the same is true of a young woman who might hear a call to religious life. I hope you know that uh, this parish has had two priests ordained since 2017. Another young man, Stephen Jones, set to be ordained a priest next summer, and one young woman who has entered religious life. Uh, with that in mind, I'm delighted to announce publicly that we have a new seminarian from the parish who is entering college seminary this fall. Jacob McClure just graduated from Edmund North and will be attending St. John Vianney Seminary this fall in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, Jacob, please stand so the parish can see who you are. This parish is very proud of you for giving your time to God's call. We support you wherever this time of discernment leads. And congratulations on being accepted as a new seminarian for the archdiocese from this parish. Know that you'll be in our daily prayers as we support you and Stephen Jones in your generous response to where God leads you. Congratulations on being accepted as a new seminarian. After Mass, you can kind of greet him back in the narthex and assure him of your prayers and your support. <clears throat> Our life as Catholics is fit into a hierarchical communion, a community with different gifts and areas of service, yet sharing one faith and journeying to our common home of heaven. We know that we do not call all the shots in the church. In fact, we call very few of them <laughs> when you consider that we have higher authorities over us. And quite often, we might struggle with life in the community of the church. There are aspects of our religious life that are sort of mysterious to us. Perhaps there are things we don't comprehend and need to work in order to better appreciate. There are things in our common life in the church that leave us unsettled and disappointed, at times downright angry. We wonder about certain decisions that are made. Some of the authorities over us, after all, don't always seem very inspiring. Maybe we wonder how and why they were even chosen to begin with. Some of them seem to be unimpressive simpletons. Some seem to have a thing with money, and you, you sort of wonder about that. And still others seem to muddle the truth. 
We may scratch our heads about the decisions of our chief leader. How could he have chosen that guy for a special office and role in the church? Doesn't he see how bad some of these choices are? What could he possibly be up to? What does our chief leader mean by some of the stuff he says? It's like he just won't speak clearly. Why doesn't he do something to make things better, more like it should be? The chief leader of which I speak is, of course, Jesus. Jesus is our chief leader. It is Jesus who is the head of his body, the church. It is Jesus who is the shepherd and bishop of our souls, as we read in 1 Peter 2.25. It is Jesus who is the leader and perfecter of our faith, as we read in Hebrews 12.2. It is Jesus who chose often unimpressive, simple fishermen to be apostles. It is Jesus who chose at least one who was a tax collector and another who had his hand in the money bag, the one who eventually betrayed him with great evil. It is Jesus who speaks in those mysterious parables, those kind of unclear teachings that are more than just images and stories, more than just comparisons, but rather stories with an unexpected twist, riddles, we could call them. It is Jesus who speaks the parable today in the gospel that forces us to contend with something unexpected and undesired. Namely, that the kingdom is like a man who sowed good seed, and in that field there is both wheat and weeds. And more unexpected and undesirable to us, those weeds are permitted to be there, even though they are sown by an enemy. It is Jesus who employs this image by which the man who sowed good seed is not surprised that an enemy is also at work. And it is Jesus who uses this image by which the man is patient to wait until final harvest for final justice. So you know what that means, right? If Jesus isn't surprised by the weeds, and if Jesus is patient to await final justice at the harvest, well then, we don't really get to act surprised and exasperated about the weeds, even in the church. We don't get to exact immediate punishment and justice at all the crazy things we see in our time. The Lord spoke this parable centuries ago. It's still an apt image today for life in the field of the church. Wheat and weeds. And aren't we just like the slaves of the householder in the parable? Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where have all the weeds come from? 
And we go on just like the slaves. Well, then we'll go pull up the weeds, right? Nope. <laughs> the master gives us not only the unexpected twist that there are weeds among the good seed, but also the further twist. Let them grow together until the harvest. When we see evil and sin in the church, when we see weakness from our leaders, when absolute confusion seems to reign, when heresy and immorality seem to be given a privileged spot, when the good and courageous leaders always seem to pay the price, when it seems like all we hear is that we're supposed to listen to and walk with those who reject Christ's teaching and who give no sign of willingness to convert, there is that fire of indignation that arises in us like the slaves in the parable. And we may want to say, Lord, if you're not going to pilot the boat, step aside, I will. But this parable just doesn't let us have it that easy. And it is a perfect lesson for our time. If you are even casually aware of the state of affairs in the world and in the church, the gospel words of this parable are likely words we need to sit with and meditate upon for a good long time. Now I realize that this parable and what I'm saying is not at all a complete template for how to navigate the multiple frustrations or even any one problem in the life of the church. And by no means should anyone think that the lesson of all this is that in the life of the church there are simply no standards and we just turn a blind eye to error and sin and things contrary to the gospel pretending like it doesn't exist. Not at all. There are things that require courageous responses. There are situations that need to be addressed. There are wrongs that need to be rebuked. And that does happen, but also it often doesn't happen the way we like. This parable doesn't really give us a comprehensive answer for how to handle the weeds in our time. And to be clear, the parable is not at all saying that the weeds will go without punishment and justice, no. It's just delayed. There are topics and issues in our common life that have to be addressed. And that is true of every society of human beings. And the church is no different in those challenges. We are, after all, a society of human beings gathered together. I'm not saying this parable tells us to ignore problems or to just dismiss them or to be naive but I also don't know how we answer all the challenges we see and the ones still to come. We are left with discomfort. But what this parable can help us do is to focus on what we have authority to impact for the better, rather than focusing on someone else's wrongs or what someone with higher authority needs to do. This parable can make us contend with being a bit more sober about life in the field of the church. The parable can also help us marvel 
at the generous patience of the Lord. And somewhere in that riddle of this parable, we might pause just long enough to realize, you know, I better look inwardly first because through my sins, I can be like a weed at any given time. And had the Lord responded to the feverish calls to tear up the weeds at just the wrong time, I myself might well have been or may well be pulled up and burnt. And so thanks be to God, as unhappy as we may be about the weeds, thanks be to God for the time for me to become good seed as a child of the kingdom. Prayer, frequent confession, conversion, good relationships in the faith that help me be accountable and the life of sacramental grace turn me from a weed into wheat. Considering the parable from the gospel today, it would seem that the Lord is unlikely to be chosen anytime soon for the HOA Field of the Month Award. <laughs> there's wheat, there's a lot of weeds too. But his field will be the only one standing at harvest time. And we have the time now to turn our focus and our energies more on becoming good wheat. The alternative may be that we so focus on everyone else's weediness that we miss our own.